You're listening to Meaningless, a year-long series of sermons from the book of Ecclesiastes from Holy Cross Presbyterian Church in Stanton, Virginia. Ecclesiastes is an honest look at where we as people seek to find our meaning, money, work, pleasure, success, even religion. The book unmasks them as meaningless, not because they aren't good things, but because they weren't intended to be ultimate things. We were made for God. When we return to Him through the reconciling life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, all of those things are filled with the meaning only He can give. The rest of you, I'd ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. It's in the Old Testament. Go about halfway through is Psalms. Then you got, if you keep going, you get Proverbs, and then immediately after Proverbs is Ecclesiastes. Okay? If you don't have a Bible with you, the text is printed for you in your order of worship. In any case, I'd invite you to have the, the text in front of you. It's going to be really helpful. This is the second week of a series that we're calling Meaningless. We're walking through the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to take about nine months to do so um, from now until we'll take a little break for Christmas and maybe a couple of weeks for Easter, but pretty much from now until the end of May, Lord willing. We'll be heading through Ecclesiastes, and this entire book is about how we search for meaning in a bunch of places in our lives, a bunch of them. Uh, and as we saw last week, the repeated refrain of our teacher or preacher, depending on your translation, as it says in the book of Ecclesiastes, is, is that, um, that all of these things are meaningless. Now, what he means by that is not that they're trivial or that they're worthless. That's what we normally associate with meaningless, right? Something is trivial. It's not, it doesn't matter. He's not saying it doesn't matter. In fact, what we say is it very much matters. They're all very good things because God made them good. God creates good things, but they aren't meant to be ultimate things. And now, as we continue in the book, he begins with the first option, right? Option number one. What, what is it that we're going to look to for our meaning? He looks uh, at the place where many of us begin our search. He looks at the question of drawing meaning from significance. In other words, if I can only make a difference, leave my mark, if I can matter, then my life will have meaning. What our teacher shows us this morning is that when we place our ultimate meaning in significance, it becomes, like all other things, ultimately meaningless. So if you have your place in Ecclesiastes, we're still in chapter 1. If you stand, as is our habit here, in honor of God's Word, I'll be reading verses 1 through 11. Let's remember, this is, this is God's Word, friends. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down, and hastens the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south, goes around to the north, around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has already been in the ages before us. 
There's no remembrance of former things, nor, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Friends, uh, strangely enough, even this is God's word is given so that we might flourish. Would you pray with me? Lord, everyone in this room is in the same place. We are all in desperate need of the grace of God, and if you don't provide it, we are lost. And so, Lord, we ask that you would come and preach your gospel to us. Open our hearts by your Holy Spirit and speak to us. Let the cross and the Lord who hung upon it, our Lord Jesus, come to the fore and let whatever is simply of me fall to the background, Lord. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Have a seat. You know, significance is a strange idea, isn't it? Like, I, I spent this week thinking and racking my brain over how exactly to find a way to introduce this idea. But I think significance is very much like the question of time. Right? Uh, St. Augustine is kind of famous for saying that he, he, can, he always knows what time is until you ask him to define it. Uh, and I think the same thing is with significance. The reason, I think, is twofold. On the one hand, our desire for significance, our desire to matter, is deep. Like it is a deep desire. And, and often, we are blind to our deepest desires. They're kind of like the color of our glasses, right? You're wearing glasses you forget real quick, what, what color are my frames again? Why? Because they're on your head. Like, you don't see them. Everyone else does. But on the other hand, the reason why the question of significance is so difficult to define is because each of us have different definitions. Because we're all looking to something different. I'll matter if. I'll matter if is a real question. It's a, it's a serious question. But it has disparate answers. And our text this morning begins to delve into this question without actually getting to those specifics, which is a, get, a grace to us. And it does so by unmasking what we are doing when we ask the question in the first place. And then by showing why we can't derive our ultimate meaning from our significance, our impact, the fact that we matter. Okay? So like always, there are outlines in your bulletin if that's helpful for you. We're going to look, uh, as is common, in, uh, at three things this morning. We're going to look at how we frame the question. We're going to look at an assumed answer and then the fact that most of us are still searching. Okay? Let's begin with the question. Look at down at verse 3. We covered the fir- first two verses last week. If you weren't here, I invite you to, to hop on our website or go to iTunes and look up our podcast, and you can, you can find it there um, if you missed it. But verse 3 really sets up what the teacher is trying to answer for the rest of the passage, so we need to pay close attention to it. And he says this, What does a man gain by all of the toil? Now stop there. What the, what the teacher is doing here is he's raising the question of profit. When, when you see that word gain in the original, what that means is... is um, is literally the idea of profit uh, in, in the most capitalist sense of the word. Like, what am I getting? It is a word that is very rare in the original. In, in fact, it only occurs in this book in the entire Old Testament. And, and it's getting at this question of, what am I going to get for all of my labor? It can mean gain, certainly, but it can mean gain only if you mean capitalistic gain. Another, another way of saying it would be benefit. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? And the second part of that question is important as well, because when he says, he says, basically saying, what's in it for me by all the toil? Now, that word toil doesn't just mean labor or work. It does mean that. It has a little bit of a negative connotation to it, right? Normally when we say we're going to work or how was your day at work, we don't say, hi, honey, how was your toil today? You know, because we're hoping that it wasn't that bad. But toil does have 
a kind of negative connotation to it, but it doesn't just mean something that gains wealth. Here, what the teacher is meaning here is all of our human effort. All of our human effort. What's in it for me by all of the effort that I put forth in the world? Am I getting what I want? What benefit do I gain? I try really hard, but do I get what I'm looking for out of it? Will any of it matter? Now think about that question for a minute. Will anything that I do, will any of my work matter? I'd be surprised if you haven't asked that question. Now, the reality is that he doesn't really speak to the kind of effort, does he? Is he talking about vocation? Is he talking about relationship? Is he talking about, what's what's he talking about? I think the answer to that is yes. He doesn't speak to the kind of effort, and that's good, because there can be lots of kind of effort. There's, like I said a second ago, there's vocational effort, right? Where we try really, really hard, trying to climb the ladder, to get ahead, to reach that carrot. There's relational effort, where we, we work like a dog to be accepted, to be cool, to have a support network, to get a spouse, get a different spouse. Like, we work hard. There's religious effort, Trying to be good, serve our God, get converts, whatever. There's influential effort where we're trying to gain power and influence. However we intend to do that. Trying to get out of positions of vulnerability. All these are different kind of efforts, but they're all focused on one thing, significance. And they are all born out of the assumption that I will matter if. I will matter if I get that promotion. I will matter if... I can finally get some of the stuff off my plate at work. I will matter if I can get the right spouse. I will matter if I can finally get the influence that I want. And the question that's being raised here is, am I getting what I'm trying to get out of life? You following me? Am I, am I getting what I want? Am, if my search is to matter, am I actually mattering by all of the effort that I'm giving? That's what he's trying to get across. And that leads us to the question of context. The rest of verse 3 is important, and it relates to something we talked about last week. Look there. He says this. What does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Okay? There's that phrase again. If you were here last week, you remember that phrase. Under the sun. What does that matter? I don't think he means, like, those who just work day shift. Okay? Like, he's talking about something different than that. Uh, And it's an important distinction. It's important because it helps us frame how this question is being asked. This is a common expression in this book. It actually occurs more times than the phrase meaningless occurs, believe it or not, or vanity, depending on your translation. But it doesn't occur anywhere else in the Old Testament. And here's the reason for that. Because in short, this phrase shows the worldview that, that's behind our teacher's exploration and question. Here's what I mean. The teacher is looking specifically at the world under the sun. In other words, from the perspective of what we can see and expect in rational terms what I can observe, what I can predict, given what I can observe. In other words, he does not allow for the moment for a both personal and ultimate God. He's asking a radically secular question. And he's asking that question because every one of us, Christian or not, asks it. Now, some of us are probably thinking right now, okay, you just said that the Bible is addressing something from a radically secular perspective. How can that be? How can that be? 
How can, the, how can something from the Bible uh, ask a question from a perspective that isn't allowing for a personal, ultimate God, since that's kind of what supposedly the Bible's all about in the first place, right? The Bible is asking this question because it is because you and I adopt this perspective all the time. I don't care if you're a Christian in this room or not. Not everybody is. And it doesn't matter. Every one of us adopts this perspective. It's called practical atheism. We all do it. We all do it. It's looking at life in terms of trying to get something, trying to earn something by all of our effort, trying to look at it as if the world runs like a machine. And if I put in my quarter and press the button, I get my Coke. Right? That's the way machines work. And the world is supposed to work like this in our minds. We take out the idea of God. We take out the idea that it is governed by a person. I don't know if you notice, but persons aren't machines. We don't run like that. And then, and then we come up with meaninglessness. And so the question is, will what I am doing pay off for me in this world that I see? Now, there's the question. Let's hit the answer the teacher finds. Look at making a difference. Look down at verses 4 to 7. He said, first, he says this. A generation comes, generation goes, the earth remains forever. Okay? This is what he's getting at. This verse is setting the tone for the rest of this. What is he getting at? It's this. The earth is big, and we are not. You catch all that? Look at that. He talks about the sun rising and going down, going back to where it rises. The winds. He's, he's talking about the fact that the sun always rises. Can't change that. Uh, the winds keep going. The weather patterns happen. He even talks about the water cycle. Remember the water cycle? Some of you are learning about the water cycle, right? Right? Evaporation, condensation. Pres- okay. All right. Sorry. I'm not a science guy either. Uh, but here's the thing. Like, streams run to the sea. The sea's not full. They go back and they flow again. All things are full of weariness. Basically, what he's doing here is he's saying, look, here's the conclusion. Nothing changes. Nothing changes. Here am I, and the earth keeps spinning, or the sun, depending on whether you're talking phenomenologically or not, and, and, and here am I. And I labor and labor, and nothing ever changes. This is what he means there in verse 7 when he talks about weariness. What he is saying is that all things in creation are so big that we can't get our hands around it. We can't control it. We want to, but we can't. And, we're, and, and it wears us out trying. Okay, what does this matter? It's this. Every one of us has this innate desire to make a difference. To have impact. To see things change. And yet when you and I move into the world, we are met, more often than not, with futility. Futility. We want impact. We want to know that our efforts matter. But the teacher tells us things have always been and they're going to keep going. You want to change things. This world is too big for you, buddy. It's too big for you. And that continues in verses 8 to 11. He says this, what, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. This section right here, verses 8 to 11, is about one thing. Our desire, our drive, our incessant hunger to leave our mark on the world. To be remembered, right? We want to be remembered, but the teacher is saying that our impact is finite. We're going to be forgotten. Now, some of you are arguing with me right now in your heads because you're saying, okay, no, uh Like, what about, what about the big icons, right? The Caesars. If we were a little bit 
east of here, the Jeffersons, you know, and I don't mean the moving on up folks, I mean the Thomas Jeffersons, right? Um, Like, you know, listen to me, we're Americans, right? We like to think we're the most important nation of the world. My guess is that most of the people in this room, myself included, could not name 10 U.S. presidents. Some of you are like, uh, uh-oh. You know, like, and, and, okay, and maybe, maybe you could, but let's, let's, let's do a little more, okay? If I say the name George Washington and say, what did he do? My guess is that nearly everyone in this room would end with, he crossed the Delaware. Guess what? Lots of people cross the Delaware every day. Right? We know three things about that dude. We know he wore a blue coat to the First Continental Congress. He was the first president of the United States. And when he was a boy, he cut down a cherry tree and couldn't lie about it. And that last one isn't even true. Okay. Here's the thing. Right up the hill from here is a cemetery. It's a very nice one. You should walk it someday. I do it often. I, I go there, strangely enough, you're like, ooh, that's morbid. Like, I go there to pray. It gives me perspective. Um... I've noticed some things in there. As time marches on, as you notice the dates that are on those tombstones get older and older, you notice they are in less and less repair. They have less and less care given to them. Some of those folks are war heroes. You can read it right there in their tombstones from multiple different wars. Many are parents, some are small children, but over time they all have the same result. They're forgotten. They're forgotten. I don't say this to depress you, okay? I say this because this is what the teacher is telling us. We want to make our mark. We want to be remembered. But in the end, time marches on. We we don't remember what happened before us, and those long after us won't remember us either. (laughs) Okay? If you are looking to make meaning out of making your mark on the world, the teacher says, sorry, you're going to be forgotten. You're going to be forgotten. Now, some of us right now are pretty uncomfortable, right? Maybe even angry. We rage against this idea. The reason why this is so hard for us to believe is that we have all bought into a lie. It's a long-standing lie. It's a lie that, that humanity as a whole has believed for most of its existence. <laughs> because you see, the Bible tells a story that God created us in His image. Being the image of God is a big deal. Nothing else in creation is said to be created in God's image. It's a huge deal. And we were created in His image to be in a dependent relationship with Him. And through that relationship... That's a very important part. Through that relationship, to exercise a kind of responsible uh, authority over over the earth. But we jacked everything up because we bought into a lie. The lie that we could be independent from God. That we could be like Him. Because we didn't want to need Him. And you know this, you don't want to need anybody. You hate it. We didn't want to need God. We didn't want to be dependent on Him for everything. And so we turned away from Him. We didn't think we needed God to be God. You and I, we we think we can be God just fine. And this betrayal, which is what it is, is what the Bible calls sin. And when you and I did this, when, 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 when a humanity did this, there were consequences. Because first and foremost, there was guilt. And, and I know that that strikes against some of our um, modern sensibilities. Listen, there's always guilt that comes with betrayal. 
If you've betrayed someone, you know that there's guilt that comes from that. If you've been betrayed, you know that something happens. And so we betrayed God. There's guilt before God for betraying Him by our independence. Now, that independence can look really different. I know that most of us think it looks one way. It looks really, it looks like immorality. It looks like, and and that's, here's a funny thing. When we think that we're betraying a code, we can argue with it, right? It's why we know that there's a difference. There's a fundamental difference between, like, a speeding ticket and adultery, right? Speeding ticket, we go, you know, I don't know. Is it really fair that we have these speeding laws? I mean, is 80 really that much worse than 65, right? You can argue with that. Try having that argument with a betrayed spouse. Is it really fair that you expect me to be monogamous? I mean, yeah, that ain't going to work. Why? Because one's against a code. We can argue with a code. The other's against a person. God is a person, not a code. And so when we betray Him, we betray Him. And that can be immorality. It can also be morality because independence can look very clean and it's just very separate from God. And the Bible says that the wages of that independence, the wages of sin, is death or hell. But secondly, it's not just guilt because something else happened. Something else happened. That lie that we believed, that we could be independent from God, became not just a momentary belief. It became the very assumption by which we live. So that every human, every person is born into that assumption. And the Bible would say we became corrupt. We have, this, is, this is so important, so listen to me. If you and I have an assumption by which we live life, it is not just an issue of our behavior. It's an issue of our hearts. It's not a moral problem. It's a heart condition. You tracking? You, you following me? This is why we see people struggling with the desire for significance throughout Scripture. It's a problem of the heart. Listen, in Genesis chapter 11, Genesis chapter 11 is after the whole Noah thing and all that stuff's going. There's a story that we, we tell our children. We don't really know what it means, but we tell it to them. It's called the Tower of Babel. And one of the, the way that the story goes is that um, all, humanity was still rather um, isolated, collected together, all spoke the same language, and they decided something. We're going to make a name for ourselves. And we go, yeah, okay, what, what does that mean? We think that because we think that's great. We think that's a good thing. But the Bible doesn't. It says, basically what that says is, we're going to become important by ourselves, apart from God. We are going to be different than what we were made. We will make ourselves great. And so they decided to make a big tower. Uh, it's kind of like deciding to become God by eating a fruit. It, we, we're not all that bright all the time. But that's not the only one. I mean, think of, think of King David, right? King David. Some of you know the stories of him, man after God's own heart, who decided he wanted to make sure, he wanted to test out his own importance by counting all of the people that were under his great care. Look how big I am. Look how great I am. God didn't like that much either. You and I are driven to make a name for ourselves because we are stuck in bondage to thinking that not only we can do such a thing, but that we must. That we must. But if our problem is not behavioral, but our hearts, then we never can. Because the, 
the significance we are hoping for can never come from these things. Look, you can pour lots of water into a gas tank. You can work really hard by pouring as much water as you can fit into that gas tank. It will not make the car run. It's not made to run on water yet. It's made to run on gas. You and I can fill ourselves with these things thinking they will bring us significance, but they will not. we were not designed to find our significance in them. The good news is, friends, is that God did not leave us where we were. Right where we jacked everything up, he said mysteriously, he's going to fix things, but also that we would. And he began to work this out, and he worked it out through, the, through this dude named Abraham, right? And he comes to Abraham, interestingly enough, in Genesis 12. Genesis 11 is Tower of Babel. Genesis 12, he comes to Abraham, and he says to him, Abe, guess what? I'm going to make your name great. Everyone else was talking about how I'm going to make a name for myself. God comes to Abraham and says, no, 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 I'm going to make your name great. You who have no child, you who are without an heir, I'm going to make a name for you. And through Abraham eventually came Jesus. And in Jesus, God came and lived the life that we were meant to, that dependent, perfect life that we were made for. But he also died bearing our guilt before God. And he did this so that we can be reconciled with God. Jesus didn't come and live to give an example. If he did, good luck keeping it. Maybe you've tried. Unless you keep lowering the bar, you're going to fail. That's not why he came. He came to live a life before God that we couldn't, to die the death that we dare not. And he did it to, to be, so that we can be reconciled with God. So that when we place our faith in Jesus, and listen to me, faith is more than assent. I can tell you that that chair is going to hold me. We can all agree that that chair is going to hold me, but until I place something in it, there's no faith. I've got to trust that the thing is going to hold me enough to actually put myself in it. And that is the same way that comes with faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus isn't just agreeing that he was the Son of God, lived, died, rose again. Congratulations. James says in his book, demons believe that too. And they're terrified by it. Faith is actually saying, I'm going to take my life and I'm going to take all the things that I've been trying to put my significance in and I'm going all in on Jesus. My chips are in. And if he's not the one, I'm done. But I believe he is. And when we do that, his life becomes our life, his death for sin becomes our death for sin and we are reconciled to God. All right, so what? Here's what. The teacher is saying, what we intuitively know to be true is that all attempts to find significance apart from a reconciled relationship with God will fail. Not because we're not working hard enough, but because we were made to find our significance in Him. In Him. Right? The gospel is that what we could never achieve on our own because of our sin, what we were starved for, I want to matter. And you want to matter. God came, and he did it for us in Jesus. You and I were made for him, we abandoned him, but in Jesus, he came to do all that was required to bring us back to himself, and all we need to do is accept it. Friends, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, there's so much we could say by way of application. I want to talk about two things. The first is unmasking a lie. In our culture, 
a lie is told, in which someone matters so long as they get press, right? Now, we don't really care what kind of press, as long as they get press. I mean, we put this lie into everything, from, from um, I don't know, singing to, to preachers, right? I mean, evangelical culture is great for that. We got our rock stars, too. Here's the thing. We attach great social weight to the person who has gone and made a name for themselves. Like, we even have people today who are famous for being famous. I'm not really sure what exactly they do, but we can't wait to spend hours reading celebrity gossip magazines and watching E! to find out what they did today. Right? Ooh, look, there's a picture of them heading out to buy shoes. Okay, all right. But our passage this morning unmasks this lie. And really, honestly, our culture itself unmasks this lie, right? You don't believe me? Okay, last year, we couldn't stop singing Call Me Maybe, right? Whether you loved it or hated it. And up until two seconds ago, you couldn't even remember what song that was. Right now you're like, oh. I'm sorry. I did that to you, and I'm sorry. But here's the thing. Even when we think we've actually done it, even when we think we've actually done it, when we've achieved the promotion, when we've, we've gotten what we desired, when we've, when we've uh, built the company, when we've made our sexual conquest, when we've had our kids achieve what we didn't, heck, even when we've planted a great church, <laughs> it still isn't enough. It's never enough. You and I seek significance in a ton of things. Some of us look to our work. If I can just accomplish that sales goal, if I can just build the right team, if I can get that promotion, if I can get that big raise. Some of us look to our bank account, right? If I can have the bling, and if I can, if I can, uh, uh, can, can do better than was done for me. Some of us look to our relationships. If people like me and want to be with me, if I'm desirable to the opposite sex. I'll matter. Some of us look to our parenting. Ooh. I'm about to get real in here, some of y'all. Some of us look to our parenting. If my kids can do what I never could. If I can live, I made mistakes, but, but my kid won't make those mistakes. They will do what I always wanted to. And I'll matter. Some of us look to religious stuff, right? Service in the church number of people we share the gospel with. Hanging out with all the right people. Heck, hanging out with all the wrong people. Look how much we matter. Let me have a kimono moment. That's, that's a phrase that I get from Pac Fancher, right? Because um, it's not like the dude who's standing up here is any different from y'all. Let me tell you, the lie that I believe is that I will be significant if you all think I am awesome. If you think that everything I do is art, that you like me and you don't leave me, that's the important one, then I will matter. And it is a lie. It is a lie from the pit of hell. Because here's the irony that the teacher gives us. If you go out and seek to make a name for yourself, you will end up forgotten. That's what Jesus meant when he went, those who seek to save their lives will lose it. 
If you go out and try and make a name for yourself, you will end up forgotten. But the gospel tells us that if you put your life in the hands of Jesus, if you trust in him instead of your significance and make much of his name, you will gain the true significance that you always hungered for. If you lose your life, you'll find it. The reason why is that we were made for a significance that comes from knowing God. C.S. Lewis, uh, oft-quoted uh, Christian author, uh, said this in Mere Christianity. He said in Mere Christianity, if, if you and I, if we find a desire that nothing in this world can satiate, the only logical conclusion is that we were made for a different world. And he's exactly right. When we are reconciled with God, restored to what we were made for, when we repent of our independence and trust in Christ, God actually, listen, He actually makes a name for us. The end of the Bible, the book of Revelation, has this throwaway line that most of us don't know what to do with, but there's a lot of beauty in it, in which it says that God actually gives to each of His children a new name. He gives them something with their name written on it that only they know. He literally makes a name for us. We are significant in Him. He names us. We can never make a name for ourselves because in the end, we were made to be in His image. A reflection of His glory. But here's the great part. The funny thing about our searches for significance, I can, I can do whatever I can to make you all like me. Um, Stroke your egos. I'm, I'm skilled at it, honestly. I'm, I've had a lot of years to learn how to do it. Um, I do it pretty well. But here's the thing. I can lose that in a second. The minute I say something you don't like, the minute I fail you, it's gone. The beauty of the gospel is that God offers us a significance that can never be taken from us because it was never earned by us. The fact that you want to matter is not wrong. You were made to matter. You were made for significance. And in Jesus, God proved that. Because in Jesus, God was willing to become human and to shed His own blood to, to not just become part of His creation, which is crazy enough to begin with, but to be subject to it enough to die to reconcile you to Himself. You don't do that for things that don't matter. You do that because something has infinite worth. And in Jesus, God proved that you matter by being willing to die to bring you back to himself so that in him you can have the significance you were made for. Friends, turn away from your independence. Your desire to use people and work and your family, heck, to just use life to get something from them that they were never meant to give you. And instead, come to Jesus and be restored to what you were made for. Would you pray with me? Lord, we're in this room in a bunch of different places. But the one thing that all of us need is the gospel. It's not something that some of us needed way back when and we don't need it now. It's something that all of us need right now. Because there's not a person in this room who doesn't struggle trying to matter by chasing after things that can never fill. 
And so we need, Lord, to believe the gospel again. To find our significance in losing our life for your sake. Being restored to what we were made for. Not by being good, not by meeting community expectations. But by repenting and returning to the Lord we were made for in Jesus. I ask that you would help us to all do that by your power, Lord. By the Spirit of God, work in that, work that in us, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.
Friends, uh, when we do confess our sins, as Jason said, returning to the only one who can actually do something about it, we are met with words of love like this from 2 Corinthians 5. A promise, in fact. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, behold, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. If you are trusting in Christ this morning, in Him alone, your sins are forgiven. Because of that, we have peace with God and with one another here in this church. We stand, we greet one another with that during this time to remind ourselves and remind each other. The work of Christ was not just something that affected a momentary forgiveness. It affected a new state of being where we have peace with God. And in fact, that, that peace overflowed to all those who have peace with God so that we now have peace with one another. Not because we are great, good, people like us, but solely because of Jesus Christ. Friends, the peace of the Lord be with you. Stand and greet one another, please. friends, let's go ahead and find our seats if we can. You know, a funny thing happens when you um, funny thing happens when you one of the one of the kind of side I'll call, I'll call it a benefit of doing what I do is that um, I spend about uh, you know four or five six days thinking about what I'm going to stand up here and say, which means thinking about where this stuff hits me, and so. Um, this week, as I was thinking through the issue of significance and thinking through my own desires for significance, one thing kind of hit my mind really clear, and that's that um, this is not something that I have dealt with in the past. It's something that is very current, very present, very recent. And so if you're anything like me, and you maybe are thinking to yourself right now, like, I do that. I am there. I've certainly never heard anyone call that sin before. But that is where I'm at. Then, um, then you've got good company. Because I would guess that we're pretty much all like that. Which is one of the reasons why we come to this table week in and week out. 
We come to this table because you and I need crisis moments. Let me just get real, real quick. Some of y'all are running from Jesus. Some of y'all are Christians and you're running from Jesus. And you're running from him in a bunch of different ways. Maybe I talked about some of them this morning. Some of y'all aren't Christians and you're running from Jesus. What what I want to tell you and what I want to kind of lay out is the reality of this table is that this is a crisis moment for us. Or all of us. Where we get to decide. Am I going to cling to those things or am I going to renew my covenant with Jesus? Or make one? Uh, you know, is it time to, to give up those things? Or am I just not there? Look, no matter where you are, it's, it's a question we all need to ask, right? I need to ask it. You need to ask it. Um, and you are welcome to come into this place regardless of how you answer it. Okay? If you answer that question with, no, I am not giving that stuff up. I don't even know who this Jesus dude is. No biggie. We're glad you're here. I want you to keep coming here and figure out who he is. Um, because I can tell you from my experience, there are a bunch of people from, that can tell you in here that he is much better than anything you can chase after. Way better. <laughs> but you've got to figure that out for yourself. I want to help you do that. So if you're, if you're here this morning and you are not yet ready to, to, <laughs> to sit yourself in that chair, so to speak, right? That Jesus, you're not, you, you might have some ideas about Jesus. You're thinking, I, I think I know who this guy is, but man, I, I ain't ready to, to go full money. That's, oh, that's crazy talk. That's, can we just be normal here for a minute and not you wacky? Well, okay, if that's you, I'm glad you're here. I want you to keep coming. I want you to keep exploring. I want you to write down your doubts and concerns. Come talk to me about them. Talk to Jason about them. Talk to Dan about them. Talk to, heck, you could talk to any of our members about them. But, but come, but one of the things I would ask you is that in a minute when everyone comes up here, just ask you to stay where you're at. Why? Why would you ask me to do that? Well, because if you come up here, what you're saying is, I am putting my tuchus in that chair. And if that's not true, like, there's no, there's no point.